Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. There we go. So, uh, welcome to everyone again, especially to friends and family who are visiting us. Um, it's really wonderful to have you all here. And um, as, as we shall said, we, we know from the Bible that um, Jesus actually wasn't born on the 25th of December. How we know that is um, while when Jesus was born, there were shepherds in the field. Now, in the northern hemisphere, this time of the year, December, 25 December, is in the heart of winter. So in that time, the shepherds weren't in the field anymore. They went into the crawl, and they, they weren't out in the field anymore. So we, we know it wasn't actually on the 25th of December, but that doesn't matter. The fact is Jesus did come, and Jesus did become human. He did come and live among us. He did become Emmanuel, God with us, and um, that's what we celebrate. And I want to um, read a portion of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 1. This uh, past month, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, reading as families, reading the book of Hebrews together a chapter at a time. And um, I thought Hebrew, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 1, and then um, just for context, I also want to read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Um, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to share from them. I'm just going to share from Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. Um, a very powerful portion of Scripture. And Hebrews is an interesting book of the Bible. Uh, it seems to be written to a predominantly Jewish church which lived in a city. We don't know which city, but we know it's in a city. The word city is actually mentioned more in Hebrews than in any other New Testament um, Book. So they, they clearly lived in a city, and they clearly lived in a city where, which was very pluralistic and um, much like our city, much like Joburg, where there was a, um, they had strong convictions about who Jesus was, that Jesus was the final word, that Jesus was exclusive, that he wasn't just like the other prophets or even the other gods, but he was special, he was unique, and he, and he was... Um, they, they had to put their exclusive faith in him, and, and clearly that cost them because there was a lot of persecution in the, in the church. But they never, and, and the author of the Hebrews encourages them, don't let go of the confession of your hope and of your faith in Jesus. Don't water down what you believe just because it's hard or because it's not acceptable to everyone or not everyone agrees with it or not everyone likes it. Um, stand firm in what you believe and in, in, in the gospel that you've received. And this portion that we're going to read, Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's one sentence. In, often in Greek, it's, a very, it's quite a complex language. So you have these long, you know, rambling sentences. Um, but it said that the, the, the core idea is in the beginning of verse 2, it says, but in these last days he spoke, he has spoken to us by his son. It's, it's about God speaking to us as his people, but speaking a final word. He's spoken in the past as well, but, but in the last days he spoke a final word through his son, through, through Jesus. So let's just um, read that together. Hebrews 1 from verse 1 to 4, it says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And then in chapter 2 from verse 1 it says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received this just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this word that you inspired. And thank you, Lord, that we can know it's, a, it's more powerful than we realize. And we pray, Lord, that we'll be able to receive it. Um, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Not just agreeing with it, but truly believing it. Trusting it and living according to it. Please help us with that, Lord, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the interesting thing, I, I said to you that this was written to a, a church that was probably predominantly Jewish. Um, and if there were one book, most of you probably know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and some Aramaic, which were the um, language of the Jews. And um, the New Testament is written in Greek, which was sort of the lingua franca. It was the, the, the international language of the time. And, and you would think if there were one New Testament book that were written in Hebrew, it would be Hebrews. <laughs> uh, and yet, it was not written in Hebrew, in Hebrew. It was not even translated from Hebrew into English, uh, into Greek. We know that because um, the, the quality of the Greek is too good. <laughs> when you translate something from one language to another, you, you, obviously, you inevitably lose some quality. Uh, it, it's, it's not quite the same. So in the, in the first verse, um, I'm not going to read it to you now in the Greek, but, but there's alliteration. There's in, in, I think, about 10 or 15 words. There are five words that start with a P sound, a, a pi or, or P sound. So you have this alliteration. And, and obviously, if you translate something, you cannot translate, you know, poetic stuff like alliteration and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and, and that's important because this, this passage is about God speaking to us. Now, what that means that this thoroughly Jewish gospel about the thoroughly Jewish Messiah was translated, not actually translated, but, well, translated verbally, but then written down in Greek, the international language of the time, tells us that, number one, the gospel is imminently translatable. It's translatable into every language, in, into any culture. It, it, in fact, it was made to be translated into every culture. God wants to speak not just to his Jewish people, but to all peoples whom he wants to make his people. But also the fact that it was translated into Greek, which is like the international language of the time, means that, it, that the gospel, the word of God, is for general consumption. God wants it to be understandable to as many people as possible. 
God wants to speak. And, and, and to me, that's one of the most encouraging things about this passage is someone only speaks to you if they actually want relationship with you. If they don't want relationship with you, they ignore you. And the fact that God speaks to us and goes to so much trouble over so much time to continually speak to us as human beings tells us something about God's heart towards us. It tells us that God speaks to us because he wants relationship with us. God wants relationship with you. If you hear this morning and you've doubted it at all, or you, you, you sort of want inspiration to draw near to God, then take it from the fact that God is speaking to you because he wants relationship with you. The Bible is divine self-disclosure, God revealing himself to us. And, and what this passage tells us is the ultimate way in which God spoke to us is through his son. So I just want you to notice in verse 1 and in verse 2, there's, if you, when you compare them to one another, there's, there's this sort of parallel contrast. It says, in the past... In the past time, God spoke, then the audience to our ancestors, and then the means through the prophets. And then it specifies um, at many times and in various ways. And then, it, then verse 2 starts with but. In other words, in contrast to that, in these last days, the time, in contrast to in the past, he has spoken, again God has spoken, or still God is speaking, not to our ancestors, but to us, and not by the prophets, but by his son. Okay? And I want you to notice both the, the continuity and the discontinuity. In, in both the past and in the present, God is speaking. Both in the past and in the present, God is reaching out to people, to us as people, and speaking to us and making himself understandable to us and revealing himself to us because he wants. That has not changed. That was true from the beginning, and it continues to be true. But the contrast is, then God was speaking to our ancestors. And just by the way, um, it's referring obviously to the Jewish nation, you know, under Moses and, and the kings and the prophets and so on. But in Corinthians, for instance, Paul makes it clear when he's speaking to a predominantly Gentile church, he, he, he says, he talks about the, the Jews coming in, in the Exodus, coming through the desert as our forefathers, exactly like the writer to the Hebrews does here. So just because you're not biologically uh, or ethnically a Jew doesn't mean that Moses and the prophets and all the people of the Old Testament aren't your forefathers. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are an honorary Jew. That's true. You've been grafted in into, as a wild olive branch, into the domesticated olive tree of the Jewish nation. So you're an honorary Jew, and the Jewish people are your people. And the Jewish Messiah, or Christ, or Savior, is your Messiah. Um, so he spoke to our ancestors, and now he's speaking to us. But, but notice it says, in these last days. In other words, God... Maybe I should uh, introduce it in this way. God's speaking a unique word, a final and unique word through Jesus. Because it says, in the past, he spoke to the prophets, plural. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, singular. There's a unique word. And he, and he says, in, in, at various, many times and, and in various ways, 
what, what it literally means is sort of piecemeal and progressively. So he didn't say everything at once in the past. He had to progressively reveal himself with one level of revelation building on another. So he had to progressively reveal himself, but he also had to do it piecemeal, little by little, over, over time. But, but in contrast to that, in these last days, he's spoken once, a, a once-for-all word through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, it was interesting, um, a couple of weeks or so ago, I can't remember how long ago, um, because of this... Um, Vladimir Putin's war in the Ukraine. The Ukraine, obviously, the Ukrainians have been communicating with with the NATO countries and with America, and you know, requesting weapons and you know, all of that's been um, important. I'm sure they had telephone conversations and and they sent like emails and I don't know how else they communicated. But a week or two ago, uh, President um, Zelensky from from Ukraine actually went to America and he spoke to the Congress and he, and he and he visited in the White House and he spoke to the American president. And and there's a difference between, you know, just sending a letter, or or just sending an email or just making a phone call and actually going in person and speaking. Because when you go when you just send an email. You can communicate a lot, but there's also a, there's no non-verbal communication. There's no, um, you know, sort of seventy percent plus of our communication apparently is non-verbal, in the tone of your voice, in your your body language, in in your your expressions. None of that can be conveyed through an email or through a letter. Now, now. The writer to the Hebrews is saying a very similar thing. He's saying in the past God spoke through the prophets, um, and and and. You know, they recorded their, their revelations and their dreams and, and, and the words that God had given them. And we can read them. But in the last day, God, just like Ukraine sent President Zelensky to actually go in person and speak and, and, and actually convey that emotion of why it's important that America support them. So God sent a person. He sent his son who could communicate on, on a much higher level than just the words and the verbal content of the communication. He, here's a, a story that I've told before, but it, it, it so captures to me why God does that. I heard the story of a, a farmer once. <clears throat> he, um, obviously, farmers pray for rain, and this farmer obviously prayed so hard that it started hailing. You know? <laughs> and it was this hailstorm, and, and he was sitting, sitting on his stoop, you know, and, and, and he saw this flock of wild geese and they were caught in the hailstorm and the, and the, you know, the hail was hitting them and they were sort of floundering and, and struggling and, and he sort of ran out and tried to sort of chase them into, the, into his barn. He opened up the doors of the barn and tried to chase them in. But obviously they were afraid of him, even more afraid of him than of the hail. You know? So he was trying to help them, he was trying to you know, usher them into safety, into his barn. Uh, but they were more afraid of him than, than of the hail, so they, they, they flew away. So what he did then was he chased these domesticated geese out of the barn, and they sort of went out and flew, and then they realized, like, it's a hailstorm, and they turned around and flew back, and the wild geese sort of followed them, the domesticated geese, back into the barn and into safety. And that is what God does with us. God knew that we wouldn't really and fully understand him and what he's saying to us unless he translated it into human and so he actually 
sent his son, who is God, who became human, so that we could actually truly and fully receive the message that he gave to us. So, so we see that, that God reveals himself through Jesus as the final word, but he also reveals himself through Jesus in more than words. It's, it's very clear here in verse 3. Let me just read that. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. He's the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His being. In other words, He's the ultimate representative of God. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. Because Jesus is exactly like God because He is God in human form. Now, there's two things that it says here. <clears throat> and I, I, Actually, there's a lot more, but I just want to highlight two things. Firstly, it's saying that, that, I mean, all human beings are made in the image of God, right? All human beings are, in a sense, like God. Now, obviously, all human beings, except Jesus, are fallen from the image of God. We've fallen into sin. So the image of God in us is distorted. It's still there, but it's a bit twisted and distorted. Okay? So no human being is a perfect representation of God except Jesus. According to this verse, he's the exact representation of God. He's the perfect representative of God. If you want to know how God is, what God's character is like, what his being is like. When you see Jesus being moved with compassion and leading people and healing people and teaching people, then you know that is God's heart. You know, I'm just thinking of this. Um, <clears throat> I, I read once, and, and it really just struck me so much. Um, this guy wrote in, in a book, um, I think the book's name was Gentle and Lowly. He said, do you realize that God's anger has to be provoked, but his love never has to be provoked? In other words, God does rightly get angry at sin. But his anger needs to be provoked. He's slow to anger, and you need to provoke his anger. But you don't need to provoke his love. In other words, he's, 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 it's like his anger is sort of, it's, de- it's, a, it's, it's as much a part of him as his love, but it's sort of deeper, buried part. Whereas love is more on the surface and more accessible. So you don't have to provoke God's love for you. He always loves you. But you do have to provoke his anger. And, and we see that in Jesus as well. Jesus did get angry. But his anger need to be, had, to, had to be provoked. And, and in that sense, my point is, he's an exact representation of who God is. So, so he's, he's, he perfectly represents God. But even if Jesus had perfectly represented God, if he had not done it in the way by becoming human, by becoming Emmanuel, God with us, by being incarnated, it would not have helped us. Why? Because it, says, it talks here about he's, he's the radiance of God's glory. Now, what is God's glory? God's glory is the outshining of His being, of, of, of His power, of His goodness, of, of everything that makes Him God, His holiness. But His glory is attractive to us, but dangerous to us. We know that from the Old Testament. Okay? So it's, it's like we're like moths being drawn to, to a flame. You know, because the flame is beautiful to us, we're drawn to it. But when we touch it, when we come too close to it, we get burned by it, we actually get destroyed by it. And God's glory is like that. 
Not because there's anything wrong with God's glory, but because there's something wrong with us. We are fallen, sinful human beings, and God's glory consumes and destroys that sin. Okay? I mean, we see it, for instance, when, you know, God is in the burning bush, and he says to Moses, take off your shoes. And then he says to Moses, go and fetch the people of Israel and bring them back. And he goes and fetches them and brings them back, and not only is the bush on fire, the whole mountain is on fire. With God's, and, and God says, don't let anyone come near the mountain or touch it because they're going to die. And Moses even goes up and, and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, no, you cannot see my glory. No one can see my glory and live. But I'll put you here in the cleft of this rock and I'll pass by you and you can see me sort of the afterglow of my glory. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, God, just like Moses, we find God's glory attractive and we say, God, show me your glory. And God has to, up to the point where Jesus came, he had to say, no, sorry, I can't. For your own good, <laughs> I cannot let you see my glory, the full radiance of my glory. But then when Jesus, who is God, became human, God with us, Emmanuel, as we sang, he housed the radiance of God's glory in human form. Looking at God's glory would be like going outside and looking directly at the sun. It would damage your eyes. It would actually literally destroy your eyes. You become blind if you look at the sun long enough. And if we looked at God's glory without a filter, it would blind us. It would destroy our eyes. But Jesus, by becoming human, as it were, put on a human filter to the glory of God. So that now we, cannot, we, we, we do not only see the perfect representation of God's glory, but we He's not just a perfect representation of God's glory, but he's a safe representation of God's glory. It's safe to look at God now and to see the glory of God in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that Jesus was willing to become a little baby in a manger so that we can truly and finally receive this powerful communication of who God is? But <clears throat> this um, passage doesn't stop there. Not only is Jesus the final word and more than words, but he's a powerful word. It, it says here, and, and this is, I wish I had more time to spend on this. Uh, I'm always like that. When I study a scripture and I start getting into it, I, I get really excited about it. But it says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Um, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He, you know, apart from God's glory and, and God's representation, it says three other things. It says, heir of, he's made heir of all things, through him the world was created, and he sustains all things through his powerful word. Now, all of those, in some way, refer to the word of God. How did God create the universe? And, and, and the word used here in the Greek is ionos, literally ages. So not only does he uphold the world, cosmos, but he upholds the ionos. He upholds the universe, not only now, but at every time in the past, present, and future. Now, the word of God, how did God create the universe? He created it through his word. He spoke it into being. So, so what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us is 
this word, when it says God spoke through the prophets and God has now spoken by his son, that word that was spoken is the same word that created the universe. That is how powerful it is. He made him, uh, he made him heir of all things. Heir refers to covenant. Okay? I don't, I don't have time to go into the detail, but heir refers to covenant. And covenant is the word of God spoken in such a way that we can be in relationship to him. Okay? So creation, covenant, but then he says he sustains all things by his powerful word. He upholds it. Now, I, I, I went and did some research because how do you... It's so easy to miss when he says he sustains all things through the word of his power. It's so easy to just read that and say, oh, that's such a nice idea. How beautiful. <laughs> when you realize how big the universe is, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the diameter of the earth is for around 40,000 kilometers, okay? And if you were flying in an airplane at, say, 900 kilometers per hour, it would take you a little bit less than two days to fly around the equator, okay? About 45 hours. If you, at the same speed, flew to the sun, which is 150 million kilometers away, it would take you about 18 and a half to 19 years if you flew the whole time without stopping once, okay, at, at 900 kilometers an hour. 18 and a half to 19 years. That's how far the sun is. Now, the distance from the earth to the sun is what's called in astronomy an astronomical unit. So let's say, let's represent the distance between the earth and the sun as a piece of paper, okay? One astronomical unit. Then one light year. A light year is the distance that light travels at the speed of 300,000 kilometers a second in one year. Now, you can calculate how many seconds are in a year, and then you can calculate how far. That's very far, okay? <laughs> so one, if, if one astronomical unit, the distance between the Earth and the sun is, is, is this thickness of a page, then one light year would be a stack of pages 50 meters high. That's just one light year. The closest, the closest um, star to the Earth is, you know, um, is, is Alpha Centauri, uh, or the Alpha Centauri cluster, and that is, um, you know, that would be a stack of papers 215 meters high, okay? The galaxy that we're in, the Milky Way, is um, 105,700 light years in diameter. So that would be a stack of papers 5,347 kilometers high, okay? The known universe, which our Milky Way galaxy is a small part of, that this is just what we can see, okay, is 93 billion light years in diameter. That's the known universe. They, they reckon that um, the actual universe is 200 to a few thousand times bigger than 
the known universe that we can see. But let's just take the known universe. 93 billion light years. Okay, so that would be a, <laughs> that would be a stack of papers 4.7 billion kilometers high. Now the being who upholds all of that just with his words... Do you want to invite him into your life as your personal assistant? <laughs> Do you think that word that he uses and that he speaks to you is not powerful? God is so much more. The word of God is so much more powerful than we realize. But... <laughs> So God reveals himself to us through Jesus as the final word, but as more than just words, as the powerful word that has more than just power, fortunately. Because here's the thing, when God speaks to us, <clears throat> if we want to know God, we have to receive his divine self-disclosure. We have to accept what he says about himself. We cannot tell him who he is. We have to allow him to tell us who he is. And, and that's true for any relationship. You cannot have right relationship with someone unless you accept who they reveal themselves to be. If you say, no, um, Rochelle, I like to think of you as a white blonde <laughs> with blue eyes. And I like to think of you as, you know, sort of a, a, a quiet person who doesn't like music. And, <laughs> That's how I like to think about you. I like to think about you as someone who likes washing the dishes. <laughs> you see, we need marriage counseling, you know. It's coming, it's coming out now. <laughs> you cannot tell someone who they are. You have to allow them to tell you who they are. And then you have to accommodate to who they are. If you really want relationship with them, then you have to accept who they are. And change to adapt to who they are. If, now, now, now here's the, the problem. God has revealed to us throughout scripture that the one thing, for instance, that is non-negotiable to him is that he cannot tolerate sin. That's a non-negotiable. So we have to adapt to that. The problem is <laughs> we can. We haven't and we can't. Okay? So, you know, that would be a problem if we wanted intimate relationship with God. But here's the thing. God's word is not only so powerful that it can sustain the universe and destroy us. But it's so gracious that he, through his word, makes a way so that we can, despite our sin, have relationship with him. And he talks about that here in verse 3 when it says, after he had provided purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus provided purification for sin. Now, you know, you might ask the question, well, I need to adapt to God, but doesn't God need to adapt to me? But what this word says is that God did. God did adapt to us. God said, I am willing, I am willing to do whatever it takes so that despite the fact 
that you and your sin are unacceptable to me and my natural being and glory would destroy you, I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that you can actually have a relationship with me. He's saying two things. Through Jesus, God basically said, I would rather die than tolerate sin on the one hand. But on the other hand, he was saying, I would rather die than be without you. Despite the fact that you are a sinner. When it says he made purification for sins, it wasn't his sins. He didn't have sins. It was everyone else. It was our sins that he made purification for. Isn't that so? And that shows us, number one, that God has spoken a final word for these last days, which started when Jesus came and continue until today. These are still the last days. And Jesus is still the final word for the last days. But he's more than just words. He he, he lived a life that represents God. He He speaks a powerful word that is so much more infinitely powerful than we realize. It sustains the universe. And yet, it's more than just It reveals more than just his power. It also reveals his grace by which he saves us. And and that is why Jesus was willing. I mean, the, the God who created the universe, upholds it by the word of his power, was willing to become a helpless little baby who soils his nappies, who sleeps in a manger amongst farm animals, who had to grow up among fallen, broken Sinful human beings who had to be rejected and mocked and beaten and tortured to death. He was willing, the God of the universe was willing to experience all of that so that we can have relationship with him. So that we can know who he truly is and say, God, I want to I know you and I want to be part of your family. When we realize that, doesn't it make you want to just worship God? Doesn't it make you want to take his word and read it and say, God, I know your word is much more powerful than I realize, but show me that powerful word. Speak it to my heart. Allow it to enter in and change my heart, to change me. When we realize that, we realize that Christmas is not just a nice little festival celebrating that Jesus was born in a manger and all about Christmas carols and so on. It's about the God of the universe who is so much more powerful than we realize coming to be with us in a way that is safe to us. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, this morning for who you are and for what you have done in and through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you were willing to go so far. And Lord, we we just want to agree with the writer to the Hebrews. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Since the message spoken through angels was binding, how much how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Lord, we don't want to ignore this great salvation that you've provided for us. We don't want to disregard it. We don't want to disrespect it. We don't want to, um, Lord, we really want to embrace it. We want to receive everything. 
We want to respond in the right way to you. Since you came so far and made so many sacrifices to be with us and so that we can be with you, we want to, we want to receive all that you've, that you've died for, Jesus. And we want to give ourselves to you as fully as you've given yourself to us. Help us, Lord Holy Spirit, to do that. Help us to live with that sense of awe and wonder at what you have done. And let it constantly tug and draw our hearts closer to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.